0: As most of you already know, today is Trinity Sunday. The name given to the first Sunday after Pentecost. When I think about the doctrine of the Trinity, I sometimes remind myself of the wonderful exchange between Alice and the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. I can't believe that, said Alice. Can't you, the queen said in a pitying tone, try again. Draw a long breath and shut your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the queen. When I was younger, I almost did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed in as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Many of you remember that until a few years ago, the season of the church year on which we now embark was called the Trinity season. We had Sundays called the first Sunday after Trinity, the second Sunday after Trinity, and so forth. Now, we call them Sundays in Pentecost, with the exception of the first Sunday after Pentecost, which is called Trinity Sunday. It is interesting to note in passing that Trinity Sunday was not generally observed at all until the Middle Ages. Trinity Sunday was introduced as such by Pope John the 22nd in 1334. It became quite popular in England, perhaps because that day was associated with Thomas Becket, who was consecrated bishop on that day, that is on what would have been the first Sunday after Pentecost in 1162. Interestingly, the counting of Sundays after Pentecost is not in the Serum Rite, that is, the rite unique to the English church, but only in the Roman rite. The change there was the result of the Council of Whitby in 663 A.D. It was then that the Christian church in England decided to set the date of Easter in, accor- not, in not in accordance with St. John's Gospel, but in accordance with the Church of Rome and the Bishop of Rome, who we now call the Pope. Well, the doctrine of the Trinity is really about community, about community and the mystery of community. For many of us, the notion of spirituality or the discovery of a religious feeling, let's say, came about in the context of community. The first time we felt ourselves to be part of something larger and more powerful than ourselves might have been in the context of a group or community. Many people unable to believe in a God might find themselves having what might be termed a religious feeling in a similar way about their family or the larger family of man, for example. The notion of community is seen clearly in the first passages of scripture that we read this morning and which indicate that God seems to be plural, plural. In the book of Isaiah, which we just read, it is said, who will go for us? Who will go for us? And in the book of Genesis, we read the plural when God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness let us make mankind. This is not the royal we. This is not the royal we that one might associate, say, with Queen Victoria, as in, we are not amused. Or in some other similar thing that the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland might say. Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, is a very concrete language. And when it reads we or us, It literally means more than one. So, we are left with the notion that God is a kind of community. This is a problem for us. Yet, one has the impression that Isaiah overheard a discussion occurring between God and the heavenly hosts before he said, who shall we send for us? It sort of implied that Isaiah overheard this discussion. We can think of no community without thinking of strife, divisions, fighting, conflict, and so forth. The mystery here is that in God, each individual entity is both unique and at one with the others together in perfect union without rancor, in other words, in God, each entity is who he or she is, and yet participates as fully as the other, so as to admit no separation or division. Thus, when we hear the great contribution of the Jews to theology, here, o Israel, the Lord our God is one, it does not mean a monad of just one entity, but a fully integrated, fully united, and fully individualized presence or force. You and I have never seen anything like this in any community of which we have ever been a part. This is why the notion of the Trinity is so difficult to understand. We've never seen this on earth. The truth is homo sapiens is still evolving and we have a long way to go if we are to become more fully the image of God that is in each one of us. It remains to be seen I say it remains to be seen if we will allow this evolution to take place or instead blow ourselves up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, we read, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of us, a Trinitarian formulation. It is perhaps best known as the blessing in church, we've heard it often. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen. This was written between 80 and 90 AD and shows that already some kind of Trinitarian formulation was already taking place among worshiping Christians. The last part of the Gospel of Matthew, as most scholars will agree, was added on much later than the date of the Gospel, and is even earlier than the Epistle of Paul. I'm sorry, it is even later than the Epistle of Paul, but still relatively early evidence of the Trinitarian formulation. Because in the last Gospel of Matthew, the last chapter, one verse before the end of the Gospel, it is said, Christ is saying to the disciples go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Prior to that, Christian baptism was simply in the name of Jesus Christ. Another Trinitarian formulation coming very, very early on in the history of the church. Thus the notion of Trinity evolved over time within the Christian community as the members struggled with their experience of God and attempted to make sense of their discovery as they worshiped together over time. As they remembered the events told them by their older brothers and sisters in the faith, thought about their experiences with the Lord in prayer, in meditation, and in the the events of their lives, they constructed the doctrine of the Trinity to explain all that they had discovered themselves. Perhaps our generation will add to it, but always it will be in the context of the community of believers, our community, this community. One might also add that being a member of a community is an extremely important thing in your spiritual life, because being a member of a spiritual community is a very important correction for speaking only to God and to no one else. We have numerous examples in history of people who did that, who spoke only to God and no one else. And many of them proved to be just plain crazy. So it's very important that if you do have a spiritual life apart from church, good. But it must be done in the context of a community because without that correction, things get crazy pretty quickly. Why? Because the spirit is powerful. It is powerful. And sometimes we need the protection of the community in order to tolerate the experience. Well, what is my message this morning? Well, it is about our life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is an affirmation of our life together in this place as we, like our forebears, struggle with the experiences of our lives in the context of our faith. Perhaps we will be blessed enough to add to an understanding of the mystery that is God. Perhaps out of our struggle to be a community, we will come to a more full awareness of the mystery contained in those wonderful words Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself we so often forget that the doctrine of the Trinity to say nothing of the other teachings of the church but can also seem so foreign and strange and unhelpful unhelpful we tend to forget all of these things were forged from the experience of those who in their generation loved the Lord loved the Lord and who now rest from their labors. The very Bible itself came from the community of the faithful as they debated, argued, politicked, and yes, made deals to produce something that could guide future generations. I know it's not a perfect system, but it is all that we have at present. But there is one other more wonderful and excellent way. Early in this sermon, when I noted that the kind of community that God is, is unknown on earth, I was not telling the complete story. There is one example available of the experience of being at one with another and yet separate from them, in which the separateness is neither division nor distance and where the being at one with is neither overpowering nor disabling. This is the all too infrequent experience of loving another and of receiving that love and intimacy. So as we go forward together as persons in community in this place, let us be mindful of the great heritage we have as a community and of great experiences that have come to make this happen so that we can be here today. And the experiences of that mystery, the Holy Trinity, let us regard its truth, learn and experience more of its essence. and further our knowledge of the mystery that is our wonderful and holy God, our Father and our Mother. Amen.